0: On this episode of AV Week, we take a look at hybrid learning and hybrid situations, whether you're going back to work or you're still working from home, what that means for you and your organization. Also, looking at the evolution of retail and digital signage in the world of COVID 19, all that and more. Next on AV Week
1: The network for the AV industry.
2: Are you listening to this? This is AV. This
3: this this is Is
2: AV Nation.
0: Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode four seventy nine, recorded Friday, October twenty third, twenty twenty. Silent disco.
2: Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Kramer, AV Beyond the Box, and by Draper, focused on innovative solutions.
0: This is AV Week, your weekly wrap up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host with us to discuss the news and information we have gathered this week. Mr. Jeremy Caldera from IAS. Welcome, sir.
4: Hello. Glad
0: to be here. Uh, also with us from USC, Mr. Josiah Way. How are you? Hey, thank you very much, Tim. Doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, last time we saw Joel Norris, he had much less facial hair. Uh, so if you're not watching the video, his, his beard is rather epic. Just as someone who can't grow one, I want to uh, you know acknowledge the fact that your your beard now is epic. How are you, sir?
3: Thank you, sir. Doing very well. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. And last but not
0: least, a young lady that I had on on a special with uh, the AVIT Summit, uh, but I've never had her on AVB. Uh, Rachel Harris technically works for a financial institution, but she also does a lot of work uh, with education uh, kind of on the side. So welcome, ma'am.
2: Thank you.
0: Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Awesome. Uh, let's uh, kick this off real quickly. Uh, the first story actually comes to us from Joe. Uh, not not for nothing, but it was a good article anyway, and he was coming on, so it worked. Uh, Sound of Communications. Joe talks about hybrid classrooms, and he might know a thing or two about that, because how many did you put in this summer? Yeah, just shy of 300. There yeah. we are. That That's, that's a something there. Um, so let, let's really let really in all seriousness, let's kick this off with you, Joe I mean, USC. Um, and I'm I'm going to try to parse through what you and I have talked about while we were recording, and what you have talked about while we weren't, and make sure neither of us get in trouble here. But when when the pa- pandemic really hit the U.S., um, actually technically, you and I were were together in Southern California, along with our buddy Mark Coxon, having some wonderful chicken uh, in Orange County, uh, California. And I flew home from, from hanging out with you guys that Friday here in Illinois, we shut down that Monday, right? So that's how close this was. And, and, and talking with you over the last six months has been an interesting education because USC, like a lot of schools, they were just kind of trying to figure things out as they went along. Initially, you guys were thrilled because holy cow, everybody's going home. You guys get to do a whole lot of work on campus. Like I would have been when I was in your shoes. Then it was like, no, nobody's going on campus. Right. You had to have a super secret pass from Governor Newsom, right, to, to get on campus at USC. And then it was kind of you, you took it back from there. And, and now you guys, uh, you spent the summer putting in, like you said, almost 300 rooms that are hybrid capable. Walk me through kind of that design process and, and the, you know, the, the overarching, you know, what problems were you trying to solve? There are some obvious answers to that. But really, you know, what were some of the, the, the design decisions you guys made and, and why you went down? the hybrid trail and how you did it so quickly.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I tell you, it was, it's been quite a, oh my gosh, can you believe what? Seven months now, um, yeah. since then. But you know, our, our digital transformation actually began pre pandemic. So this design, I always feel like I was the luckiest guy on earth because I already had an answer for it when this actually happened. So we began looking at, uh, how we could improve our spaces and the direction technology was going even beforehand, you know, um, like USC, surprisingly, we were really far behind. We had no lecture capture, no live streaming. We had nothing that everybody else, no wireless sharing that everyone was already doing. So I'd already kind of had a, you know, let's say a blank check to start from scratch and to look into, you know, software uc defined systems. And that was really what we were looking to do. And so when the pandemic hit, everyone was going, okay, Scram, how are we going to solve this? And really for us, it was, okay, well, all we have to do to solve it is actually implement the plan we already have in place. And that really made it really, it made it nice because, you know, we, get, we can start a little early. We got our, you know, exception to be, uh, to be on campus and hit it, you know, and get it going. Now, the, the thought was, was never, you know, what's going to happen if all of a sudden every student and faculty member has to disappear. It was, well, what if you could have a guest lecture call in or things like that? You know, the cute things, not global pandemics. And so, what we really wanted to do was relook at where, and I, and I talk about this in the article, is you know, really, what's the purpose? I think as AV people, we're really good at the what and how, and we're really bad at the who and why. You know, who are we serving, and why are we serving them? And I think that was really the question we wanted to answer: is figuring out, you know, where are they? You know, where are they going to meet? Uh, for their classes, and how can we end up, you know, um, answering to, you know, the why they're doing it, why they're learning, what they end up needing to do, and then we can find the solution from there. And that was really the secret to creating this online hybrid environment that thrives in the virtual world. It might have people based in the physical world, but thriving in a virtual world.
0: Rachel, I want to bring you on this for two different aspects, obviously, the education part, but also from the corporate side, uh, like a lot of corporate, you know, clients, you uh, a lot of folks went home and, and are still working from home. So as you guys look to either bring your folks back to the workplace or, you know, working with um, some of the, the folks that you work with in education, what are you telling them as far as the, these are the needs that we have, or, or this is how we get you from point a to the point where you can either be hybrid or completely you know, remote?
2: Well, I mean, I think that the environment where I work was, did a really good job of figuring out that virtual is the stage very quickly. And, um, you know, so as a result, we're gonna be out of the office for a long time, you know, well into 2021. And the idea is even as the offices open back up, you're gonna be working on your virtual stage at your workstation. So, um, you know, and I think that the article really, in fact, I don't, I took one note and the the note was about how closely what was in the article matched what they were saying. And basically, everything's a silent disco now. Um, same thing at work.
0: Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, Jeremy, when you're talking with clients, uh, not only in the corporate space, but also in, in education, uh, higher ed how are you how are you how are you approaching this this hybrid model and are there any hurdles that you guys have to, to kind of jump over that you didn't have to a year ago when it comes to deployments
4: for us it's been a lot of not allocated funding for these projects right I mean in Joe's case you know that they, they were great it was great enough they had this in place right in our case it was you know we'd like to do this but we're not quite there yet and then now boom you have to do it Right. So where do we get the money? How do we do it? Uh, The challenge for us and my technicians all wanted to kill me at the time was just, here's some gear, go figure out how to hook it up with what they got. You know what I mean? Do your best. And I hate that. I hate that as well. I love putting out fully engineered systems with drawings and project management and all this stuff. And my technicians love it because they get the how to a point A to point B. This is what you do. Connect this, connect this, connect this, test this, you're done. That all went away this summer, right? For us, it was, five major universities doing the same thing, hundreds of rooms, 90% of them were anything from throw a the camera on the ceiling to get me whatever camera is actually in stock and figure out how to hook it up to the audio system that's already in place, right? Because we need to be ready to do hybrid learning. And they found the money, they did it, but they didn't do it right in all cases. So, okay, great for me, because I've always argued that commoditized equipment no longer <laughs> makes integrators money. And it's on labor and that's all labor figuring that all out, right? And now we're going to have to come back after the fact that it's unfortunate because we're going to see double spending of money, which no one ever wants to see, right? Now we need to go back a year from now, two years from now, because we know this isn't going away and we're going to have to circle back around and we're going to have to say, okay, what do we, how do we do this right? You know? And again, it's going to be, we spent this money. So how do we use what we already bought? Right? So from a design standpoint, for me, it was, you know, knowing that that's going to happen, what can we attempt to put in now uh, to help minimize the double impact of that cost?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Joel, from a manufacturing standpoint, one of the things that, that I've, I've watched other designers and other institutions struggle with is not only do you have the, the hybrid model, but you've also got the social distancing in person. And here, here's where I'm going with this. Not for nothing, but Joel works for sure. Sure, primarily as a microphone company, they do have headphones, they do other things, but microphones is, is what they are 100%, you know, the number one thing. You've got a situation now with, let's say that you are back in the office and you are back in a conference room, even though you're six feet away. Guess what else you're six feet away from? A microphone. The microphone, yeah. And, and and you know the the one thing that that from the Yamaha you know sound reinforcement guide on has taught me: the closer you get to the 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 the, the, the microphone to the source, the better overall the the sound is going to be. As as a manufacturer, how do you get that from? you know and yes you guys have got some solutions and want you talk about that too but but how do you, how do we get to from you know the the basic physics of audio right mm-hmm. and translate that into a social distancing safe world
3: it's really knowing the limitations and the feature set of, of the the microphone or the system that you're installing but also the the features and limitations of the dsp that you're sending the the rod audio from from say whether it's a shore or whichever manufacturer of microphone um these microphones they're still living in the physical world they're not magic mm-hmm. uh, if you are 10 feet or 20 feet away from a mic that's not suited for um, that capability you're certainly going to have some tunnel effect or it's just going to sound pretty bad you're going to have a bad user experience for both the Person providing the content, but also the um, people who are learning on the other end. Yeah. So it, it's it's knowing the limitations, but also working with the manufacturer, like it is our our ceiling array microphone that can um, that can pick up from great distances. But it's still a microphone that you should be aiming towards. It's really knowing the the physics of how uh, audio waves traverse through a space. Knowing that you really should be looking at the acoustics of the space as well. You can't have a lot of reverberant. Um, walls and just everything concrete and glass, even though it looks it looks great. But when you're dealing in an environment where um, people will be distant or will be a bit further away from each other, it's it's talking with the manufacturer, knowing the um, the newest, sort of newest technology that's out there. We have a number of great microphones that can work either from the ceiling or mounted up a bit higher. They're not going to be, like a gooseneck microphone or even the, the 7B that you're using there where you have to be right up on it. There are certain, um, certain like, newer technologies that we have implemented that allow you to get a bit further away from the microphone, but still you have to be aware of, of its nuances and, and how it operates and also the acoustics of the space, sometimes even more so than the microphone because that space can dictate how well a mic um, can perform. And also uh, routing that to your DSP, knowing um, which processing, noise reduction, um, acoustic uh, echo cancellation, AGC, all of these other things that come with using a microphone, no matter the manufacturer. It's making sure that the integrators, the manufacturers, um, and the project managers are all talking together to say, hey, this is the best solution for you in this space. You have people that are, uh, you have a lectern in the front, you have students who are in in a row, maybe six feet apart or so, we need maybe additional microphones um, above them or something that is right in front of them, say a gooseneck. But there's um, a number of talks that need to be had between all parties involved before we just put something out there. As Jeremy said, some things are going in at a very rushed, very fast pace without them sort of consulting either um, design engineers or the manufacturers themselves. So the more we can talk and the more we can can work through those and hash out those issues
0: better. Yeah, I want to wrap around one one thing um, because both both Rachel and and, and Jeremy hit on this, um, and and that is that that rush to get you know product out and, and make sure that that it, it it's functional now, uh, but then that that come back around that 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 time where we have to go back and, and properly design it maybe where does that money come from? And, and here's what I'm asking. I'm prim- primarily talking about education because that is, uh, I spent a couple of years in, in corporate, but mostly my, my real background, I was where Joe was, right? Not at USC, but I was, you know, a, a small community college here in Illinois. I understand that there are certain buckets and each one of those buckets have limitations, right? So if you're having to go back and redesign and redeploy systems based on, you know, this, this rush to, to get to hybrid, where is that money coming from? Is it something where are, are these education institutions, these school districts are going to have to raise bond money, right? Where they've got to go out and, and basically ask ask their their constituents, you know, we've, we've got to raise cash capital. Is it from the corporate standpoint where they're just going to simply, they look, oh, you guys, we're going to raise our prices, you know, overall because we've got to do make these changes. Either from, from Rachel and, and Joe's standpoint or, or, uh, or Joel and, and Jeremy from talking with clients, where do you guys see them being able to kind of, Maneuver the budgets to make sure that 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 second round of funding, because it's going to come, is coming from.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, I'll jump in because so many great points were made. Um, When you recognize, you know, even saying what, what Jeremy was taking that so many people rushed to solve a pandemic problem. They didn't really solve a problem. They just made things work. Right. And now what you're getting, you know, it was really interesting because at the beginning of the pandemic, people reached out to me and say, hey, what are you doing? Well, I'm putting uh, 910s, 710s, and and telemix room everywhere. And like, okay, it's great to be USC, you know, and we're trying to find whatever we can find. Now, here's the thing. You know what emails I'm getting right now? Hey, can you show me the plans for your 910s, 710s, and and telemix room? Because now what's happened is schools have recognized that part of business continuity is now having to do the investment, right? Mm-hmm. You can't now can't just say, did the webcam work for the last eight weeks of class? Sure, it did, right? But now you have to figure out how are we going to solve this. We're never going back. Hybrid is a part of higher education forever. So now it becomes part of an investment. And that's where there's a lot of, I mean, a good integrator will go and build these partnerships right now because the money, if it's not coming right now, it's coming next year. I mean, that there's no doubt about it because now there's a keep up with the Joneses, which is very popular in higher ed generally. Now you have to, you can't be the institution that doesn't have fully equipped hybrid spaces. You just can't, you won't survive in a couple of years if you don't have that. And so we're seeing that, you know, for us, we even increased our scope. And it happened basically is when I said, where's the money gonna come from? And they said, the money's not the problem right now. Keeping the classes going is the problem right now. So let's solve it and we'll worry about the rest. And I'm hearing that same thing from my colleagues. And you're seeing a change in investment too from just get us going to, all right, new designs, how our system's gonna work going forward, make this you know part of it. One thing I've been saying lately is, you know, when you design a classroom or whatever, you know, especially when, you know, integrator designs it, a consultant designs it. The first thing you do to save money is cut the microphone and, and the, uh, the ceiling mic and the camera from the bill of material, mm-hmm. and, right? But now they're the first two things you better add, right? So that's a complete change. And that real probably means a 50% more, you know, increase in the, and a per classroom cost by the time you've done that added programming labor and all of those, that's really good for our industry.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, and I I just want to point out the fact that Joe Way just said that that the money is not a problem in higher ed. Um, that may have been the first time uh, anyone has it ever probably is the first uttered that. So, all right. Uh, next uh, story actually still comes from from of Communications. Um, Ben Gauthier, uh, actually the the headliner, the one of the uh, part of the, the Q division folks that that's keynoting uh, the AVN 2 the AV Nation, the AV Network Nation event that we're doing uh, in combination with SCN December tenth. Writes about digital signage and really kind of how digital signage in retail has evolved uh, in, in this during this pandemic. And I would quote here of uh, COVID nineteen quote unquote exposed a weakness in retail, namely its difficulty adapting to a fast changing environment. Retailers and their partners can enable digital signage to change with the situation, driving messaging that instantly helps customers navigate the environment in the way you want them to uh mr caldera uh you guys uh also has a, a digital signage component talk about for a second how you you know not just design a digital signage system to do those things right to be able to to be um kind of uh nimble uh and flexible but also how you communicate that to your clients and make sure that they're ready uh if they need to be flexible or they're ready to engage you uh when they when they need to make some changes
4: well, for us, it's a lot of um, recognizing the tools that are available, right? So, uh, you know, there's a lot. There's there's a thousand digital signage companies out there, right? But there's only certain people that make the right hardware, especially the hardware that might be compatible with cloud-based solutions that can be deployed over campuses and deployed over an entire enterprise versus just a building or like a digital menu board, right? So having those right tools, I think... Um, and, and educating the client on how to properly set those up because it, it serves another purpose, right? You know, before we were talking about digital signage for, for mass notification, right? So think of all the tragedies that were happening around the schools, and digital signage became a tool for, for that, right? And for commerce too, um, you know, they were using it just for simply menu boards or just to show the latest and greatest fashions and all this stuff here now. But if they understand the tools that they have and they can be deployed quickly and updated and changed with the right software. Uh, on a mass scale, uh, that will just ultimately, uh, I think, grow the market even more because like you said, you can do so much more with it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Rachel, when it comes to kind of, you know, um, the Jeremy mentioned the fact that they were just using it for, you know, um, menu boards, a lot of folks are, have been repurposing um, common spaces like uh, cafeterias as well as larger um, auditoriums as we all kind of come back to work. Um, when, when, from your experience, where do you see kind of digital signage going, both the corporate side, as well as, as education, as we move out of this pandemic and helping folks kind of get back to work safely?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that digital signage is going to be extremely instrumental in really just helping people navigate around the buildings as they return to them, you know, um, everywhere you go you're going to need instructions about how to enter where to stand um, and what to do. So I'm sure that in all different kinds of places, that will be a large use of digital signage. Whereas we used to, you know, let people know what events were coming up and things like that, but that'll be less important. I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Joel, when it comes to, you know, not only from the corporate side, but also um, working at it with, with clients, when you guys start looking at retail and you start looking at, you know, uh, the different various spaces that not just digital signage, but, you know, wayfinding and, um, you know, making sure that clients have what they need to roll out. One of the things I've always found interesting is from a manufacturing standpoint, how you guys kind of partner with both manufacturer, both, both dealers as well as as um, the end users kind of walk me through uh, some of the steps to, you know, go from, again, the, the overarching what problem are you trying to solve down the down the road until where you have a full uh, kind of a, a finalized solution that's been deployed all along the way, you know, making sure that from a manufacturing standpoint, you're, you know, um, helping out both the client and the, you know, and the dealer.
3: It first comes down to is what Jeremy mentioned, knowing your tools and knowing what's available to you, but also the requirements of uh, of the end user and of the the space that you're trying to outfit, um, digital signage or really any product that you have. Um, it's it's the manufacturer's and the integrator's sort of responsibility to work with uh, the client and the stakeholders uh, all the way down to the end user to say, these are the the problems that you have, um, these are the, the the newest technology or the newest pieces of of gear that we have available to help you solve that solution. Um, going from point A, like this, these are the products. This is how you implement the product, all the way to this is how you sort of design the room with our product as well as um, the connection or the the through point for sending our information or raw audio be that any control interface information, to another third party, uh, a third party's processor or something like that, walking through that with them and giving them the sort of the um, confidence that a solution from Shore, or a solution from any other uh, microphone or manufacturer will indeed um, give them the best audio quality or the best user experience, say, for any students or content providers. And then once we, we sort of find those requirements um, from the stakeholder, from the end user, really getting it down to the rep or the dealer to provide them the, the tools at the best cost, and then still not necessarily hand-holding them, but taking them through the process all the way to the end to implementation and say, all right, we have the product in- installed in your conference room or in your classroom. This is how it sounds. We have market development people who can actually go on site and sort of tweak and help um, bring the system to its best performance ability um, based on what the customer needs and the, the end user needs and, and working with them all the way till maybe even the first meeting or first few classes and saying, this is a, an ecosystem basically that you are outfitting for them and we can help provide from A to B, whether it is just our ecosystem or whether we're communicating with other third-party entities, it's, um, Having and building the confidence in them that that they can install our system to the best of their abilities and ours.
0: Yeah, I like that. You know, not only your ecosystem, but you can be a part of a larger ecosystem even as well. So, okay. yeah. Mr. Way, you'll have the last word on this. From, from wayfinding to mass notification, as Jeremy said, um, talk for a second about, you know, not just from a higher edge standpoint, maybe, maybe even USC specifically, because uh, larger universities tend to have um, silos uh, of, of different colleges, right? College, School of Business, School of Nursing, School of, you know, uh, Political Science, or whatever. And sometimes those have little fiefdoms about who controls what. Uh, so, talk about from a uh, a campus-wide deployment when it comes to digital signage. Where do you see that going uh, over the next couple of years as we do try to do, you know, mass notification for security, but also for for health reasons.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. In the article, there's a really good line that just says, you know, new customer behaviors come new opportunities and expectations. And I really think that that's it. If you look at what's going on today, even in just a society, you know, how often did we pre-pandemic walk around and you didn't pay attention to billboards, you never paid attention to signage anywhere, and now we're hypersensitive to it. You walk in a store and you look and see what's on the on the front to see, okay, am I supposed to wear a mask here? What's going on? What are the protocols? You see, you know, the little dots on the floor six feet away. We're so hypersensitive to making sure that we're understanding the message coming out at us. Well, that's really a leverage point and a new opportunity that we can uh, use in order to continue, in order to either, you know, if you were in a retail side, be able to use that for your customers to to get gain customers, but also. Um, just from a mass notification side, people are paying attention to it. You know, we have slides and I kid you not, like you said, we are a federated environment. Um, I control about half of the signs, pretty much all the ones in the general areas, but there are some that are department specific that are still advertising club meetings from 2018. Okay. Um, and there's nothing I can do about it. Um, but hopefully they had a good turnout. They've been advertising it for two and a half years. So really, I mean, what are you going to do? But here's the thing. I think everyone notices that now because you're sensitive to, okay, what's the message coming at me? So if we can use relevant information and you can use that in a way that we rethink what people want to know. I mean, I think the whole article even closes with another great line of, you know, uh, customers are expecting dynamic, timely, and relevant content it can no longer be the 30 slide roll just because to share about something, it's give me information that's important to me right now. What do I need to know and how is that going to impact me? So I think that that's a change that needs to happen. And it's one that I have a team and I've got, you've had, you know, Lexion, she's a, she's an amazing woman who oversees that for our, our campus and, you know, we're in the process of, you know, bringing that together, centralizing it, consolidating it so that we can be more consistent with our messaging and more specific with the messaging based on the person and the place that they're at. And I think that's where we need to move. And I really think that's in general. I think that's digital science in general in our society.
0: That'll be a good place to stop. Thank you all so much. Um, Joel, thank you, sir. Always good to see you. Indeed. Uh, you too. Thank you. Sure. Uh, how do people get a hold of you
3: or a shore? You can uh, reach us at either shore.com forward slash contact. That goes to our support team, which I'm a part of, and a number of other engineers who work with all of the product line in our our, our ecosystem, basically.
0: All right. Very good. Mr. Caldera, thank
4: you, sir. Oh, You're welcome. Glad to be here.
0: How do people get a hold of you or IAS or anything else you want? You, your kids' soccer team, you know, whatever.
4: Well, it's IASTechnology.net, or you can follow me on Twitter, which is at Jeremy underscore All right,
0: very good. Rachel, very good to have you uh, on, on, this, on this program. So thank you so much. Uh, how do people get a hold of you?
2: Thanks. Um, I am occasionally on Twitter at rharrispro, uh, the best way.
0: Occasionally. I wish I was on occasionally. Uh, someone who's not on occasionally uh, is Mr. Joe Way. So how do people get a hold of you, sir?
1: Yeah, you can find me on all the socials at Josiah Way. Pick your favorite one. I'm there.
0: Also check out his his podcast, Higher Ed uh, and Hetma and your brand spanking new magazine. So how do people get a hold of that?
1: Yeah, you can find that at Higher Ed AV on all the socials or higheredav.com. I'm really excited to expand the podcast into a digital magazine with a lot of great content providers and content relevant to uh, our vertical
0: specifically. So find there and can find everything else through that yeah they've got some really great stuff so uh, and i i would be remiss um and i i you know uh I, I was i made the joke that last time joe and i saw each other we were eating chicken sandwiches with with mark Coxon, uh and joe and i um were, were together we were we were we were quite hefty uh and now neither one of us well i'm not gonna say neither one of us are but you've lost an, an awful lot of weight sir so you look great I want to point that out. Um, the rest of you look great too. But when you've got two fat guys and we've lost weight, I, I think you look fantastic. So, uh, so thank you all. Um, for us, for AB Nation, uh, don't follow me on the Twitters. Um, the Bears are five and one. That's all I care about right now, and that's all you're going to hear. Uh, exactly, Joel. Ah, um, but uh, go by the website if you would please avnation.tv that's avnation.tv you'll find this program and a host of others including our other weekly resi week that matt scott takes a look at the residential um, uh, industry i mentioned the fact that ben gauthier uh, and manny al are going to keynote uh, an event that we're doing december 10th you can sign up for it now at avnetworknation.com um we're partnering with uh, SCN and our, bug, our buddy, uh, Megan Dutta, uh, from over there. So her and I are gonna be doing a number of panels uh, and uh, you can get uh, between four and five are, uh, CTSRUs. We haven't heard back from the VIX yet on how many there there are. Panels will be on how we get back to work safely after COVID, uh, AV over IP, and where the different technologies fit into uh, our everyday lives. And I'm, I'm doing that panel. So in my two cents is that no, 10 gig doesn't belong everywhere, and no one gig doesn't belong anywhere. So, we're going to discuss where they all go. Uh, also, um, AV network or uh, audio network uh, security uh, with a couple of really great folks. So, you can check that out at AV Network Nation. Dot com And just yesterday, we announced that we're doing another one of these because I guess they like us. I don't know. We're doing another one. Um, but we're doing one in digital signage uh, March 4th. You can check that out. So all that and more at avionation.tv. That's avionation.tv. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week.